Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and if you've been watching this show regularly, you may have noticed that I'm doing a lot of interviews out at the Science and Non-Duality Conference out in California, which is what I love to do. So it's really fun for me to be here, to connect with new friends and old, and here's an old friend, uh, Unmani. I interviewed Unmani about three years ago, I think it was, and I listened to her interview on the plane on the way out, and in that interview we mostly, and you can go back and listen to that one, incidentally I'll have a link to it on the page at which you may have found this interview, but in that one we mostly covered um, kind of a chronological history of her spiritual unfoldment and so on, and various things she had done and places she had gone, people she had studied with, and things like that, so we won't repeat any of that. But one thing that came out in the interview, at least my impression as I listened to it, was that, and this fits very well with my philosophy, is that we're all works in progress. I don't care how advanced somebody is, they're still progressing, in my opinion. Maybe Monty differs in, in that opinion and will give us something to talk about. But So I thought maybe we'd start by just playing catch-up and you know seeing what's been happening with you in the last few years, and I'm sure that will stimulate all kinds of conversation. Wow. A lot of endless evolving and maturing has mm -hmm. been happening and I totally agree with what you were saying. Mm -hmm. um, there's no end to the, this mm. opening, unraveling, unfolding um, as this human. Of course, who I really am, life itself doesn't evolve, doesn't need to evolve, but the lived experience of that is right. all about evolution. Yeah. And uh, of course, the mind doesn't really understand how that paradox could be, but it is anyway. Mm. And part of the evolution is not buying into our beliefs about how things should be anyway. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's been more about that, seeing, growing, being touched more and more by the uh, intensives that I run, the people that come, uh, learning so much from them. What I always find funny is that they think that they're coming to be helped by me. And actually, they are touching me so much. Yeah. Um, it's very true. Yeah. I, I was a student of the Maharishi, as you may know. And, and when we were on teacher training course, he said, you know, I'm going to tell you a secret, which is that the teacher always gains more than the student, yeah. always learns more. So he said, you know, this profession of teaching is a very powerful evolutionary tool for you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I really find it that, that I mean, you're in the fire constantly. I mean, by nature, I was always quite a shy little girl, you know, quite shy and insecure. And um, for me, sitting in front of audiences, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'm, I'm much more used to it now. I've been doing this for like 10 years or so. But still, it's, it's about burning up in that fire. Like any old ideas about myself or what I might be holding on to or any position or any even the idea that I'm the teacher, that I know and they don't know, or that I shouldn't expose my own vulnerability. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it just all goes out the window more and more. Mm. Um, yeah. Your phrase, burning up, um, I said this in the little talk I gave here at the conference, but one thing I've noticed is that when you put yourself in the position of being an instrument for people's evolution, it's like uh, if you st when you step into that role, the powers that be turn up the voltage quite yes. a bit, you know, because you're you're an instrument of the divine, you know, you're mm. a tool for the evolution of humanity, yeah. and I, I'm kind of anthropomorphizing it. I don't know who they are, but uh, <laughs> they want you to be as bright and effective and powerful a tool as you can be. And I know some people feel like, can my nervous system sustain this higher voltage that mm. I seem to, that seems to be coursing through me? In fact, Adyashanti has had this little problem with his health recently. He, he mentioned that mm. when I teach, so much energy flows through me, it seems to really make it, this pain I, I experience due to this problem, whatever it is, is uh, exacerbated by the, that intensity. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is intense. I feel often like I'm also a participant mm -hmm. um, in a group of, you know, I, I run these like resident, like 10 day intensives and in that, in those 10 days they, we go through all kinds of really intense stuff and I'm going through it with them. Yeah, it's um, not like you're bestowing largesse no, upon the chelas or no, anything. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but what I mean is that this 
let's say life itself, consciousness, whatever, that speaks apparently through this person, I'm, I'm listening to it as well. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I'm hearing myself say things that, Where'd that like, come oh, from? wow, yeah, yeah, wow, that's good, you know, ooh, <laughs> you know, I didn't know that, oh, well. Yeah. On this theme, don't you feel like it kind of gets you firing on all cylinders when you step into that role? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a f kind of quite a full-on role, mm -hmm. and I'm quite happy to, to drop it at the, end of the, at the end of the meeting or intensive. You know, I, I, I love playing that role, and then I also love just, yeah, you know, just yeah. chilling or, yeah, being very ordinary and um, having very ordinary conversations with people. Yeah. going shopping and stuff like that. You kind of need to. I mean, I, th I think that 24-7 blast furnace mode gets a bit old after a while. Yeah, yeah, and there's no need for it as well. Like, I'm not yeah. looking for anything in it. You're not about to I'm enlighten not. the cashier at the grocery no. store. <laughs> no, no need to prove anything. Right. Yeah, the role gets played when it's needed, mm -hmm. and then ordinary life goes on. It's an interesting thought, you know, and a lot of times people come to spiritual talks and satsangs and so on, and it seems like there's something special about the person up on the stage, you know, mm -hmm. whoa, I wish I were like them. Mm -hmm. They seem so bright, they seem so eloquent. Then, I mean, if you could live with them, if you're married to them or something like that, you know, they wouldn't seem that way. You'd really get used to the ordinariness. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I interviewed Mukti uh, about a month ago, uh, we were talking about this point, and she said, well, when Adya's in teaching mode, he's my teacher. And there's that relationship, but when he's not in teaching mode, he's my husband. You know, he's not my teacher. Mm -hmm. Maybe she tells him what to do or whatever, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, almost like an actor on the stage. You're, you're not always Hamlet. You know, you go home and yeah. you're Richard Burton or something. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's a hat that you put on for a while because there's no need to play that role or to be that identity yeah you know all the time i can play lots of identities mm -hmm. all right i think we yeah. nailed that point yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned the word paradox earlier which is always one of my favorite words and i think the reason it's my favorite word or one of them is that that life is kind of paradoxical if you look at all the different levels of reality and, and even from a standpoint of physics there, there's so many different laws of nature operative at different levels and they're so dissimilar to one another and yet nature works quite naturally and automatically and harmonizes all those differences all those different modes and levels of functioning and uh, so perhaps you could comment on your thoughts about spiritual corollary to that in terms of being able to incorporate paradox or incorporate all the different sort of levels of life within one's awareness or within one's experience. Yeah, the problem with a paradox is that it is a paradox and it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And the thinking wants to make sense out of it. It wants to say that this is how it works and, and box it into a ni nice package but a paradox means that two things are opposites mm -hmm. simultaneously like that and um, so it's kind of for the thinking you have to it has to just kind of go well okay it's I don't get it it's a paradox it's the only way really for the thinking to kind of it's the only label that the thinking can put on how life is mm. um, by calling it a paradox it kind of gives it gives the thinking some rest in trying to figure it all out it says okay it's just a paradox and, and the main paradox, I mean, there, there are so many paradoxes there. Life, are, life is full of paradoxes. But the main one that I see, and I, I know in my own direct experience, is that that we've, we already mentioned, that I am life itself, that doesn't evolve, that doesn't move, that doesn't need anything, that doesn't lack anything, that has no problem, yeah, that just is empty, actually, mm. of any quality, and yet the paradox, the other side of it, is this human experience. And this human experience seems to include time and space and evolution and sensation, stuff basically. It's full of stuff, seemingly. It's a knowing that I am emptiness for the thinking. It's like, well, how can I be this human? playing at all this stuff and feeling all this stuff and thinking and experiencing when I am emptiness. 
And what I see a lot of seekers on the spiritual path try to do is to become emptiness. Without being the other. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, to, to empty their minds, empty their experience mm -hmm. uh, as much as possible, or to become really still, to not move, or to become really silent, to kind of <laughs> copy the qualities yeah. of the source, life itself. Mm. But there's actually no need for the thinking to try to copy the qualities, because I am already that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, in fact, the thinking doesn't have any idea how to be that. It couldn't possibly. All it can say is, well, I don't get it. The thinking gets the hang of it after a while, doesn't it? If you're really living it, the thinking learns pretty quick that it's not going to be something that's figured out you know, on that level, and so just yeah. you know, relax, yeah. take it, a back seat. It, it kind of says, well, who am I to know? I, I'm yeah. just a thought. Well, I don't get it. It's not my realm of understanding. I have these two friends who are both physicians. They both meditate, and they practice together. So I call them the divine pair of docs. Doctors. Yeah, divine paradox. Have a you ever paradox, heard of sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, your American accent that oh, slowed yeah. me down there. <laughs> well, this is kind of an interesting point about people who try to be the silence, yeah. you know. But I mean, if you look at, again, nature, uh, of which we are sort of a part, obviously, there's tremendous silence and infinite dynamism. Yes. And the infinite silence and the infinite dynamism coexist. Yes. And so, if uh, I don't mean to get in teacher mode here, but if uh, you can bounce off this, if enlightenment or awakening or whatever we want to call it is really supposed to be knowing of reality, then it, an experiential one, not an intellectual one, then it would seem that that knowing would involve an incorporation of both infinite silence and infinite dynamism within yes. one's awareness. Absolutely. It's knowing that my true nature is that infinite silence, as mm -hmm. you put it, playing at being in motion, yeah. in movement, in this human form, apparently. And in knowing that, and not trying to become that anymore, then there's the freedom to actually really live as this human, mm. to feel it all, to get dirty and messy in it, you know? <laughs> to, to really um, go through whatever you go through and not to, to kind of stop trying to be perfect and perfectly spiritual and holy and pure, you know, but actually to see that this human is an animal and it doesn't need to be perfectly fixed and healed. It is messy and it, it's often uncomfortable, these body things, you know, have all kinds of issues and stuff that's felt, but knowing that I am not limited to this body mm -hmm. is the freedom for it to be a mess. And just that is such freedom when you're trying to fix for so long, you're, try, you're making this assumption that there's something wrong with me, mm -hmm. as if I am this body, who I am as this body, but if this body is going through some emotion or physical sensation or sorts of thoughts, or, that means that, that I have a problem that mm. needs to be fixed. But if I know that I'm not this body or, yeah. or thoughts, then oh, there's a mess can go on. Yeah. The crazy insanity of life can or go on. Or you can fix it. I mean, if, if like you're overweight or you have high cholesterol or something, you're not this body, but you might want to take care of the body. Oh, know. sure. It's it a useful tool. Of course. It doesn't, I'm not saying that you just kind of like... <laughs> Throw caution to the wind and yeah. start snorting meth or no, you, yeah. Well, you could do that if that's <laughs> what you like doing. But no, I mean, there is a more and more of a sensitivity to this body, yeah, actually. Yeah. In my experience, uh, there's more and more falling in love with this body, with this human experience, uh, with this kind of character that seems to be here. Mm -hmm and uh, getting to know her and all her weird and wonderful foibles. Whereas perhaps on the spiritual path, she as a person was always rejected. Oh, I'm not, I'm not the person, yeah. I'm beyond it. Well, you know, I, I talked to someone just the other day, a friend, and that was her emphasis. I am not a person. Mm. And I didn't handle it very well during the conversation. And afterwards I was talking to another friend and he said, well, the way I would address that is, of course you're a person. 
you're a lovely person. You're just not only a person. That's the thing. You know? Yeah. People yeah. often have to go through a phase, mm -hmm. and I certainly went through this as well, of rejecting the person. Mm. In order to really acknowledge that I am, I am the absolute, that I am life itself, mm -hmm. I had to say, well, I'm not the person. I, ha I had to sort of throw off all the limits. Yeah, kind of a so netty, I'm, netty phase. Yeah. Yeah. And then come full circle back to the person. Yeah. And it, it seems like a maturing. I wonder if everybody has to go through it that way. In my experience, it's what, what I've seen with people that mm -hmm. I've been working with, that they kind of have to go through like a rebellion stage yeah. of, of rejecting the person. Kind of like teenagers having yeah, to go crazy something for like a while. Yeah. And, and kind of hiding out in this new state, which mm. is relatively new for a lot of people who've just had this amazing recognition, awakening, whatever yeah. you call it. And they hang out in this very peaceful state, which is lovely, but eventually Life comes knocking at the door, knocking right? at the door, and the human experience yeah. uh, starts screaming. You know, yeah. and you can't ignore it anymore. Whether it's through some tragedy that happens in your life, or just you know, just little subtle things start to be felt more, and you can't shut it out anymore. Yeah, and of course there are teachers who specialize in this "you are not a person" phase, and keep beating that drum. Yes. So more power to them, I guess. If it's if it's, it's a phase it's a that people know, phase. yeah. If it's a phase that people need to go through, then I guess there must need to be specialists in that phase. Absolutely, it's, it's a useful phase, but then it's up to the individual to acknowledge that I'm getting stuck in this phase because it feels safe. It feels like I'm now beyond it all and, and taking a certain, let's say, superior position mm. in. I know it, I'm beyond it, I'm looking down on all these people who are kind of in the human experience still, poor them. Yeah, and eventually it's about humility actually, like huh. diving back into this human experience that you thought you'd gone beyond. Hmm. So, oh damn, here it is again. But yes, it is here again, but it's here to be acknowledged and, and actually, as I said, like, to be fallen in love with. Yeah. Even if it's not always about feeling loving, of course it's not. It's mm -hmm. often uncomfortable, as I said, you know. But it's what's actually here, and it can't be denied. And there's really no escape, it, yeah. inevitably, from this human experience. This body goes through stuff as it ages, and sure. then eventually it's going to die, and mm -hmm. there's no escaping that. You mentioned the word love. A lot of times, um, a kind of a unemotional dryness seems to be associated with the I am not a person phase. It's a little mm, bit notorious yes. for that. Well, you know? that, that's what it's good for, in a way, to escape feeling. Yeah. And there have been some interesting talks here at the conference about devotion and non-duality and whether they are compatible or, or exclusive or something. Uh, Mirabai Starr was talking about it in her talk this morning. And one point that kind of came out was that if non-duality is really non-dual, if it's all inclusive, if it's not just sort of cordoned off in some corner of life and everything else is out there, then it must include love and devotion yes. and all the qualities of life within a vast totality. Yes, absolutely. And it's also not limited to what we think is love or what we feel is love. Mm. You know, it goes both ways. It's not limited to this kind of awareness, dry, kind of beyond it all thing. Mm -hmm. But it's also not kind of fluffy and, and just lovey-dovey. Because a lot of people get stuck in that phase as well. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other phase on the other side of it. You know, yeah. they're kind of equal sort of phases. It depends which path you take. Uh, you can get in, in, stuck in this thing of like, I have to continually open my heart and have these kind of loving experiences. Um, it's all kind of Maybe the foundation dreamy. hasn't been established yeah, yet. You know? Yeah, and the thing is it has to go together. Yeah. And you have to recognize that you are empty, nothing. I mean, without any quality. Mm -hmm. And that's not even a loving quality. That's right. no quality. Mm -hmm. So you, in, you have to let go of love, actually, to actually know real love. You know, and it's not knowing it in, in the mind, it's not knowing it in a feeling. Although, of course, it can include feelings and thoughts. But it's knowing the love that is who you are, your true nature yeah. is love. And then you see it everywhere. That's a good point. I guess maybe another way of phrasing it would be you have to know who you are to be, before you can really appreciate who or what anything else is. Yes. If you don't know who you are, then who is it that loves 
this thing or or appreciate that thing. There's no kind of foundation for it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Then it's it's just grasping hold of temporary experiences mm. that we call love, but actually they're just kind of nice feelings of expansion, but they're temporary. And then we get addicted to chasing those experiences. We go to places or we hang out with people that somehow seem to trigger those experiences. And then when we're alone, there's this contraction again. And, oh, I've got to go and get that it's again. It's more of that. It's that fix. It's a, it's a drug, basically. Yeah, so either phase. It's just a phase. Yeah. Eventually, you have to let go of any position that you're standing in and see that there is no position to save you. I hear people um, giving talks here at the conference, and then I see questions from the audience, and, and sometimes I get the feeling that people are a little frustrated because they hear a lot, a lot of words, they hear people saying all this beautiful stuff, and they don't quite know how they can make it happen for them. You know, it's like they're hearing a, a description, but what they really want is a prescription. Yes. Yes, yeah, I, I hear that a lot. I mean, not yeah. only in this conference, but generally right. in the meetings. And so there are people promulgating practices of various kinds, so those could be considered a prescription. Then there is the non-practice crowd, <laughs> anti-practice crowd. But I mean, where do you, what's your stand in terms of how to actually help people make this an experience rather than a conceptual thing? Well, in one way I feel like if you personally feel like you need a practice, mm -hmm. then you need a practice. Mm. If, if you're drawn to it. <laughs> if you're drawn to it, then yeah. you should find a practice. Mm -hmm. And then you are drawn to whichever practice you feel can help. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it gets to a certain point after a while of, of practicing whatever you practice, that you start to see, well, okay, that's taken me to a certain point, but somehow it's kind of not helpful anymore for whatever reason. Mm. So maybe at that point you then want a different practice yeah. and you go and search for a different practice. Mm -hmm. um, and that can go on for a while. And perhaps eventually you get exhausted mm. and you start to see that actually every practice essentially is just a, tr a crutch, mm -hmm. something to lean on. Which is handy if you have a broken leg. If you believe you have a broken leg. <laughs> if you believe you have a broken leg, then you're going to believe you need a crutch. But if you're willing to see, to actually turn and have a look at your leg, do I really have a broken leg? You know, if you're actually willing to question, is there really something wrong with me that I need a practice to hold on to? Well, that's where I'm interested in working with people like that, you know, who, who have got exhausted with holding on to something that they believe is going to save them and at the same time reinforcing the idea that they need something or they've got a problem. But the words you just used in there, believe, save, need, all those things. Sure, there's plenty of people doing practices for whom those words would apply. And then there are people like Ramana or the Buddha who, after their awakening, meditated long periods of time for many, many years. Now, maybe it's, it's I don't think they needed it or believed anything in particular about it or, you know, they didn't have broken legs, so to speak. But for some reason, they were drawn to do it. Hmm. Maybe it was to set an example. Maybe it was to refine their physiology. I don't know. But like we began by saying, there's no end to this development. Absolutely not. And but then there's different kinds of practices. Let's say not so much different kinds of practices. Of course, there are many kinds of practices. But there's different kind of motivation, let's yeah. say, for practice. Reasons for doing them. Reasons for doing right. it. So when you're searching, mm -hmm. so the motivation is to fix yourself right. because you believe that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And then when you recognize that actually there's no need for a practice because there's nothing wrong with you, mm -hmm. you may go through that rebellious stage of throwing everything out and say, I don't want to practice anything and uh, I'm not going to do anything spiritual and I reject everything that's got the word spiritual in it or <laughs> non-dual in it or whatever. But then you may want to come back full circle into exploring this human experience. Yeah. Now that can happen in many different ways for different people. It can happen spontaneously, just through life experience, which is more my uh, experience with that. And if there's that real willingness to explore whatever life brings up, then actually every day, every moment is a practice yeah. by itself, without me trying to do it or remembering I need to practice. Mm -hmm. But all the time, in every relationship, in every interaction, even right now, mm -hmm. there's a, a continual checking out what's going on physically, what's yeah. happening here in this whole experience. 
more and more sensitivity, noticing any kind of holding, any stopping, any pushing, any, yeah. you know, it's all being felt. Now, now, now is the practice all the time. I noticed that. Yeah, there's yeah. this kind of constant self-referral, mm. and it's spontaneous. It's not yeah. like you're driving yourself crazy, like, ooh, I'm no. you know, it's, it's more of a, uh, just a sort of a gentle, natural kind of self-monitoring process or something yeah. that it's just like, becomes routine or habitual. It's like um, the light, I mean, this is just an analogy, but mm -hmm. the, the light of truth, if you want to call it that, shines more and more on this human experience in more and more refined, subtle detail over time, it seems, you know? So you become more and more aware of the, all these little subtle things that are going on. And where, for example, where I'm speaking from, mm -hmm. am I speaking from agitation or am I speaking, yeah. you know? <sighs> oh, that's nice. You know? <laughs> and, and just noticing the difference. Mm -hmm. And that's just happening naturally. So this particular thing you're describing now, have you noticed it growing? Like, oh, let's say since the last time yeah, I talked to you. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been a more and more attunement, yes, maybe is a good word. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I find it difficult to kind of compare how I am now to how I was then, because I have to remember, how was I then? And I don't even uh, know. I'd have to kind of make up this whole story about how I was then. I can't really find myself in a point, as a point in time, you yeah. know? But people have said things, so okay, maybe they've seen and they've compared, I don't know. I just remembered a couple of great quotes. One is um, from some Buddhist sage, I forget his name, but he said, even though my awareness is as vast as the sky, my attention to karma, meaning action, or you know, just the functioning of life, is as fine as a grain of barley flour. And then there was one from Don Juan, from the Carlos Castaneda books. He said, mm -hmm. um, a warrior has time only for his impeccability. Mm -hmm. You know, impeccable. Which you know, doesn't mean we're perfect, but it means like I think it means what you're saying. There's this kind of this art of living that gets uh, more and more yeah. refined. Yeah. And I've certainly noticed that in the way I'm working with people. Um, you know, I, I do these like very intimate dialogues. People have described them like energetic surgery, <laughs> <laughs> which you know I, I wouldn't have used that term myself, but I, it is like that in a way. It's kind of really kind of checking in myself all the time, like what's going on and. And of course, you or whoever I'm sitting with is in me, and mm. so I'm checking and noticing mm. and feeling, and there's that sensitivity that's... That's interesting. Really. So you've got like this internal barometer that helps you read the person you're sitting with mm. and, and deal, interact with them. Yes, because I'm reading myself. Yeah. And that's how I can read you. And so let's say, for instance, all right, you want to read something about me or you want to just use a more it's hypothetical not, example? It's not quite like that. Okay. I'm going to like read your fortune or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, so for instance, if a person is, let's say, hurting emotionally, uh, their boyfriend broke up with them or something mm -hmm. like that, and maybe they haven't even told you that yet, but you're sitting talking to them, do you begin to feel some sadness or, or hurt or abandonment feelings in your own physiology or something? Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have that word yeah. put on it. But I start to have a feeling, yeah, of something feeling a bit broken, mm -hmm. maybe something like that. And uh, a certain crushed sort of feeling. And uh, so I may just start to sort of respond to that or describe that. And then if they feel that it matches what they're feeling, then they'll be like, oh, yeah. Mm. You know, and then they'll start to open up, like, oh, yeah, and then we'll talk about it. And do you sometimes, do you feel like you sometimes pick up on things that they themselves might not even have been aware of and then you help yeah. them to become aware of them? Yes, because sometimes people don't want to look at yeah, got or it feel things, yeah. you know. And sometimes people will fight with me, like, no, 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 it's not like that, no. Huh. And then sometimes later on they'll come back and say, well, actually, you're right, you mm. know. It was like that, I just didn't, I was too afraid or didn't want to see it. Because sometimes this message or this pointing um, can be quite confronting and threatening to what we think about ourselves. And so, yeah, not everyone uh, is ready or willing for that. But I suspect that you don't have a very confrontational style. I mean, there are some teachers that really like to skewer people, you know, and bust their egos. And, mm. and they can be very harsh, really, and even with people who haven't asked for that. I mean, maybe they've showed up at the meeting, but they, they haven't asked to be publicly pilloried, mm. you know. <laughs> I find that in the way I work with people, the container is so important. And what I mean by that is that um, whether it's the room that we're in 
or the, f the fact that I say that people, that everybody who's here needs to stay here and not come and go and they need mm -hmm. to commit to the whole time that we're there. Things like that create a very safe container. And if those people are willing to really be there and mm -hmm. show up and really commit to it courageously, because mm -hmm. it is about kind of being courageous, courageously vulnerable, then that container can hold sometimes me being very strong with people. Mm -hmm. But it, because it's held in, in a tough love kind of way. Yeah, it yeah. can be very ruthless at times. Yeah. But uh, when necessary, right. you know, sometimes people uh, just don't know how to stop kind of going along with their old mechanisms, mm. you know. They're longing to stop, but they just don't know how. And sometimes it's Deeply just like, ingrained. stop it right now, you know. Huh. And do um, they stop it sometimes? Yeah, sometimes it's like, they just need a bit of a slap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, when it's held safely, mm -hmm. then it's not like a public humiliation. Right. Do you um, notice pretty profound transformations in people sometimes or often yeah. When, yeah, when they've yeah. gone through a retreat or something like that? Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And more and more as, uh, as this... Getting better at it. Yeah. I seem to get more refined and... Um, yeah. Yeah, big transformation. Not that people are suddenly walking out all enlightened and floating out the door, because that's not really yeah. what I'm aiming for, if I'm aiming for anything really. But it's more that they, uh, that they can go back to their ordinary lives and just be ordinary and kind of the, the weighty suffering that they were carrying, that they can actually finally put it down and just mm. live, you know, live freely, mm -hmm. enjoy life start to go on with their own refined exploration yeah and that to me that is that's an, a success story that they can then go off and be ordinary you know uh. just live as ordinary people they don't need to be all enlightened if anything you know if someone thinks that they've all they've got it and they're all special after being at my intensives then they really haven't heard what the hell i'm talking about yeah yeah there's always more, as you said in the beginning. Yeah. For some reason, as, you, as we were discussing this point just now, I was reminded of one of those moving walkways in the airports where you can kind of go faster for a bit to, to get down to your gate. Mm. And, it, and it, I could sort of see an intensive as being one of those things. You, you can just walk along on the carpet and, and get there, but you can step on a walkway for a couple of minutes and, yes. and it, Speeds it know, up. make some good progress. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in one way I could say, well, you know, who I am, life itself, doesn't need to do anything, doesn't need to come to a meeting or an intensive or anything. Mm -hmm. Of course not, it doesn't need anything. But this human experience is about forgetting and remembering and acknowledging more and more this living <laughs> as that. And that's what seems to happen in these intensives. When people are exhausted with trying to f improve and fix themselves and they just want to hear it how it is, you know, just someone just tell me the truth mm. and have, have my own experience confirmed, you know, people come like, am I okay, basically is what they're asking, am mm. I enough, am I okay? And of course I don't need to give them that answer, it's about them discovering that for themselves. If someone were to ask me that, I would say, yeah, you're okay, but make sure we're referring to the full package here, because there's a lot of buried potentials and you'll really be okay if, if those can be unearthed and, and can be lived. But without those, life can be a little shaky. Yes, but then we go through life assuming from a very young age that we're not okay. Yeah. So we've got so used to squashing our power, life itself's power, that we automatically are putting that same, those same beliefs that we had as children, we were kind of, uh, we learned from our parents or society, we put that into the spiritual search in the same way, you know, we, mm. we kind of are taught that, you know, we need to achieve, we need to be someone, we need to know where we're going, what we're doing, our purpose, all that. And then in, we do the same thing in the spiritual search. We try to achieve awakening, enlightenment. Nirvana. Nirvana, mm. yeah. We try to become perfect. And, mm. But it's not the same thing. It's actually about going right back to the beginning and seeing, well, maybe there was nothing wrong with me right at the beginning of it all. And if there's nothing wrong with me, then it leaves me with like, it will, well, absolutely nothing really. I mean, I, I then have to question everything I've ever been taught. And then what is reliable? And in that, it's like your whole world just blasts open. And there, there is the power. 
there is the freedom, the power, the love in that breaking open of what you thought you were. Yeah? In a way you can't blame people for wanting some nirvana or grand awakening to take place because everybody keeps reporting these things, you know, I mean, yeah. oh I had this profound awakening and then this and that happened and you hear, I mean, you can read books about them, you can go to talks about them and, you know, it's enticing. Course, you hear that stuff, yeah. it sounds great, you want to experience you, it. You don't hear about what happened to them after that experience. Right. <laughs> How, they had this great experience and then there was a great crash Kaboom, as well. Kaboom, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, maybe not straight away, maybe it was gradual, but life yeah. does come back in. Or they thought they had it made and that was it, and, you know, they're, home, yeah. they're in like Flynn and then... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sometimes it lasts for a while and... It, and Honeymoon and then, period kind of Yeah, thing. and then the thinking comes in to kind of hijack it and say, well, I've got it now. Mm. I can now become a teacher because I've got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, great. From that place you can share your experience. But what tends to happen is that people hear it. It's like, oh, wow, they've got it and I haven't got it. Yeah. And it just kind of reinforces this, uh, this idea that there's something wrong with me because I haven't had an experience like them. So it's not about the experience, that's what I, I really want to love to emphasize, that you can have any experience, any fancy awakening experience, but so what? Well, but there's a it's difference temporary. between a flashy experience. I was talking to Francis earlier today and he was saying, over the years I, I had so many interesting experiences, but then when I awoke it, it wasn't really an experience not like all those other ones, mm. it wasn't something which by its very nature could come and go. And so, couldn't, no, it could not, yeah. by virtue of what it is. Yeah. And, and then he, he said, and I, I realized at that time that it had always been there, yes. you know, all my life, but just had been kind of overlooked. And I'm just picking on Francis, but a lot of, you hear those kinds of accounts. So I guess maybe what you're saying here is, if awakening or enlightenment or nirvana or whatever is considered to be an experience in the sense of some really cool, you know, blazing of a thousand suns kind of thing that's going to happen, and, and maybe such a thing does happen, that ain't it. But it, it can even be more subtle than that. Yeah. And I, I, um, because many people say to me, oh, okay, I don't need a fancy special experience, but I just need an experience of a bit more ease. So you can change the words, mm -hmm. but you're still hoping for an experience. And it's yeah. not about any kind of experience at all. You know, actually, it's about acknowledging your nature, which, as you were saying, Francis said, that is beyond all experience. It doesn't come and go, because experience does come and go. You know, if you yeah. have an experience that wasn't there, well, it's come and then it's gone, you know, after that. If it does come and go, then it's not it. But then aren't there symptoms of the kind of abiding awakening we're talking about? One of them might be ease. Yes. I was talking to Rupert yesterday and he was saying, well, peace and happiness are kind of hallmarks or characteristics of a genuine abiding awakening. So there are kind of these symptoms. Yeah, I would, I would call, the, call them like byproducts. Yeah, byproducts. Yeah, because yeah. they're not the point. Right, they're kind you know, of offshoots or... Well, if you're aiming for peace and happiness, you're going to be looking and searching for a long time mm. because it's not about that. Right. Life includes a lot of experiences that are not peaceful and not happy. Mm -hmm. But if you're not searching for any kind of experience and you start to see, well, actually every experience is included, then that in itself is peaceful. Yeah. You know, so it's actually when you let go of this wanting a particular experience, mm -hmm. you get everything you wanted in a way, but not in the package you thought it was going to come in. So it's like when you don't even care about having peace and happiness, you might have a bit of peace and happiness, but so <laughs> what? Who cares? Yeah, but again, those are byproducts. They're byproducts. You yeah. know, the, the real love is the love of what is true, you know, mm -hmm. who I really am. Yeah. And actually, I remember as a child, kind of making a pact, with, I don't know if we talked about this before, I hope not, making a kind of a, a some kind of imaginary pact or prayer mm -hmm. uh, to, I don't know who I was praying to or what, but just give me the truth. Mm -hmm. I'm prepared to sacrifice the perfect relationship, living happily ever after, whatever that means, mm -hmm. all the best, wonderful experiences. Here, have them all. I just want the truth. At that time, I was a teenager. At that time, I didn't know what I, what I was really asking for. 
so but did like stuff start happening yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well it had already started right. really. that was already part of it but. I can think of a number of people yeah. I've interviewed who gave God an ultimatum like that you know yeah, yeah. Pamela Wilson mm -hmm. uh, this woman named Mirabai Davy it's like they just said you know, she, the latter just said, "I'm just going to sit on this rock and starve to death if if I, you know, get don't get." Yeah, I'm willing to there die. There was this like, yeah, they'd like come to the end of their rope, mm. so to speak. I don't think you can just sort of, you know, anyone who's listening to this on YouTube say, "Okay, that's it. I want the truth." There has to be kind of a ripening before that becomes a meaningful yes. resolution. Yes, and also many people say to me, "Well, I've never had that moment where I've really been wanting to die, and do I have to come to that point?" Mm. No, you don't. It's not not the way for everybody. Right. Some people do have a kind of gradual seeing. So you don't have to have either a special experience or this kind of, I want to die. It's just or, how it was for Or me. the master holding the disciple's head underwater yeah. and saying, you, you need it that, as bad as you want to breathe. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> you don't, it doesn't have to be like anything in particular. Right. Everyone has such a unique journey, and I'm sure you've seen that with all the people you've interviewed. Like, mm -hmm. Everyone's totally unique, so however yeah. it is for you is just how it is. That's an important point. It's a really an important point. Because what I've also seen is so many cases of people thinking it needs to be a particular way, like that guy describes, or like I read in this book, or mm. something. And it's like they're, what was that Byron Katie book? A Thousand Names for Joy or something. I, for some reason that came to mind. But it seems like there are as many paths as there are people. Everyone's going to have their own unique fingerprint. Yeah. Uh, and it's about your own authority mm. as well. You know, not, your, not the authority of the thinking, which of course thinks it knows it all, but your real authority, or authority as, you, as you recognize who you really are, then you know that that is the only authority to know actually how it is. So as long as you're assuming that someone else's experience is better than yours, or your experience should be like theirs, mm. or, or if you're assuming that what your, your thoughts are saying, or other people's thoughts are saying are more true than your own direct knowing, then you're moving in that kind of very agitated, painful way. But in knowing who you are and acknowledging that actually I am the only one who can know, because there's no one else actually. <laughs> how it is in this experience is the only experience. There's no other experience actually. There's no outside of me. So how it is is just how it is. No one can say that my experience is wrong or should be any different. On the other hand, just to play devil's advocate, there are people who tend to want to just wipe clean any notion of hierarchy or, or stages of progression or something like that. I've actually had people say to me, you know, there isn't an inch of daylight between me and Mar Ramana Maharshi, meaning that because they had this pretty clear concept of what non-duality is, they were actually living in the same state that he was. And I think that's hubris, you know, I, th mm -hmm. I think there's a lack of humility implicit in that. And it's, you know, back to the paradox word, we have to, on the one hand, not compare ourselves to others, but on the other hand, recognize that there may be some others who are a little bit more... I, I don't know who it was that you were talking about, but, but <coughs> it depends where they're talking from. Because consciousness, life itself, there is no difference between me or anybody else, no matter how special sure, like you were saying earlier, they, as yeah. far as the absolute is concerned, it's yeah, there's no separation, all, all there's no difference. But as far as the embodiment yes, of that. So yeah. that's, yes, of course, it, and, and everyone is totally unique and, and special and different to any other expression. Yeah. And, and we can't, in, in another way, we can't even begin to compare because we're so unique. So yeah. we're, we're absolutely the same consciousness but so different and so unique. But in the same way, we can't sort of start to believe, well, I'm at this level and he's way up there and I need to, I hopefully one day, maybe in the next 10 lifetimes, I might get there. Because you know, that's a whole other trick of the mind to start to put other people up on a pedestal. <clears throat> Even if they are, wow, amazing, and there's a lot to learn from them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that uh, they are somehow up there and then you are now down there because that's now not um, going with your own you know authority yeah you know and it's interesting because if you hear often great saints and sages speak they say I just see myself you know all these people here I'm just seeing Yes. We're, we're all the same person. You know, I bow to, to them I, because yeah. uh, in, in a very real sense I'm not higher than them yes yeah 
Absolutely. As soon as you put someone else up or down, mm -hmm. then you're putting yourself separate. Yeah. You're building a wall between them. It's a funny thing, though, because there is this paradox. You know, I mean, I've had arguments with people that have tried to convince me that a frog is just as enlightened as the Buddha or something. In some sense, that's true. I mean, the frog, the, the self is the same in all beings, and the Gita says you see all beings in the self and the self in all beings and all that. But on the other hand, to quote, who is that? The Fiddler on the Roof guy. There are stages of development. There are stages of progress, stages of, uh, un of evolution. Yeah. Frog is not the same as a human being, and even in terms of his neural capacity to reflect consciousness. So it's, it's kind of like you were saying earlier about the non-dualists, they kind of go over here and, and hang there and yeah. deny that. You kind of have to do both. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, there are endless, that endless kind of unraveling and um, kind of seeing through more and more that goes on, you know, until you die. And mm. I hope that there's never an end. Really, yeah, you know, it's, it's more of an adventure that, so. that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I wouldn't say that there are stages or levels or something like that, because that starts to be like it's now, the way the thinking works, it starts to map out all the levels and the stages. No, their whole it, it Buddhist tradition was do just that. You know, they have all kinds of complex maps of all the stages of attainment, that's, and that's they have the, words the for all these things. thinking loves to do that. Mm. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it, of course. It's just that when you start to focus on that, you start to deny your own authority again. Yeah, you it's a, it's a balancing that, act, you know? Yeah. It's a balancing act, it's like riding a bicycle or something. You, you can go too far in either direction. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to have this both end. It's like holding it all yeah, lightly. Yeah, it's like, okay, you right, know, yeah, lightly. Yeah, okay, I can learn from that. Like, yeah, maybe, you know, that can, that's yeah. relevant. I'm not going to really find my identity in that. Mm -hmm. Because that's what, what thought wants to do. It, says, it wants to say, oh, which level am I? Yeah. Am I nearly there? Am I below this person or above this person? <laughs> that's really what the, the yeah. aim of the, those kind of maps. Yeah, you know? funny. Where, where can I find myself? Reminds me of the first time I took LSD. We, we picked up this book by Ramda, uh, Richard Alpert, and Timothy Leary, and it was talking all about bardos. And we sat around all night trying to figure out what bardo we were in. And we're in the second bardo? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the nature of thought. It's always yeah. asking this question, who am I? In, in lots of different forms. It's trying to map it all out so that I can know who I am. Mm. You know, but the answer is never in thought. This conversation's flowing nicely, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, really enjoy talking to you. Are there any um, kind of things that you, you'd like to bring out that I haven't really, that we haven't really brought out you know, as we're going along here? Mm -hmm. Things that are important to you, things that come up in your teaching, that you are telling people over and over again because they keep coming up, and mm -hmm. anything like that? We've explored quite a lot of the main things, I think. Have we? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember more yeah. right now, but... Um, so what's, what's, what's up with you? Are you in the States for a while? We go next week to Vancouver. I say we, me and my partner. Uh -huh. And then we go to Portland, and then we go to Washington and New York. So we're in the States and Canada um, yeah. until the end of November. And then back to the UK. Yeah. And of but course, you know, this will become dated pretty soon because, you know, this will be up for years. What's your website? Die to Love die-to-love.com mm. um, But you know, I'm, I'm always on the move. Uh, yeah, but you I keep your schedule there. Yes, right? yeah, I, was, I just mean like I don't have a base. I'm kind of not going back to... Oh, okay, so you don't even have an apartment anyplace or no, anything? No, no. You're living out of a suitcase? Yes. Wow, yes. that's impressive. Yeah, for, for years. Yeah, I did that for about 15 years, but I uh -huh. think I stopped doing it when I was on about 37 or yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's cool. Yeah, I think I remember you telling me that last yeah, time. Yeah, that's in the, the old, the other interview. But you must have places you can go and just kind of get away from it all for a while. I have some favorite places. Yeah. Yeah, we're, stay with friends or family. Mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting. You must have a lot of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> yeah, although I <laughs> only discovered in, that but... a few years ago, so I, I should have kind of... You haven't been collecting them? I ha well, I have recently, but uh, not, uh. you know, from years ago. I could have bought loads of free flights by yeah. then. Huh. <laughs> Great. Well, um, this has been a nice catch-up. So die-to-love.com, and I'll be linking to that from the page I'll put up with this interview on BatGap. Have you written any books? Yes. Yeah. Um, not lately, but... Um, I, I probably linked your book from the last one. Yeah, well, I have two books. Mm -hmm. um, I'm yeah. Life Itself, which I wrote about 
more than 10 years ago, something mm -hmm. like that, 12 years ago. Is it getting dated? Is it uh, getting, no, not really. It's not getting I mean, stale? It's, it's a very simple book. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it just kind of says it like it is, and it's mm -hmm. got my story in it as right. well. And then Die to Love. Oh, I remember uh, that one. Yeah, yeah uh, which I wrote probably <clears throat> about five years ago. I don't know, I'm mm -hmm. losing track with the numbers. And that's like an exploration about love and uh, relationships and love itself as well, not just yeah. love and feeling. <coughs> and like I'm a writing a third book, but that's kind okay. of going on for a while. Do you have a newsletter that you send out or anything? Yeah, right, I do. So if they can sign up for that on your website? Yeah, on my website, monthly yeah. newsletter. I mean, it's not always every month. What you're uh, up to? What, yeah, what's coming I write up? an article each time. Yeah. Um, people <coughs> seem to like my articles. Good. Yeah. All right, well, thanks. So I guess we'll wrap it up. I've had this nice little getting up to date conversation with yeah, Unmani. It's nice to kind of check in with old friends and yeah. see how it's going. Yeah. As most people watching this will probably be familiar with badgap.com, but in case you're not, that's what it is, B-A-T-G-A-P. It's an acronym for Buddha, the gas pump. So go there and you'll find several hundred interviews I've done indexed in several different ways. You'll find a forum where people have discussions and a place to sign up to receive my email newsletter, which just goes out about once a week every time a new interview is posted. Although with all these sand interviews, it'll be a little bit more frequent for a while. There's a donate button, which I appreciate people clicking if they feel the capacity and urge to do so. There's also a link to an audio podcast, which um, somebody's telling me just today that <laughs> it's funny, the guy works at Apple and he doesn't know how to subscribe to a podcast. And he said, well, I just download the MP3 and, and port it into iTunes. I said, no, you don't want to do it that way. Subscribe to the podcast and it'll come in automatically. And the podcast remembers if you interrupt and it remembers where you left off and all. So I figured that out. That's worth doing if you like to listen to podcasts or things in audio. So thanks for listening or watching. And uh, we'll see you with the next one, which uh, may be one more before I leave here. Thanks.